Hello, friends. This is Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And we're here with just the zoo of us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. We're joined in the studio by our baby, Finley. He has very many thoughts and feelings to share on animals and things in general. But I'm hoping he keeps them to himself <laughs> for this particular episode. Yeah, start your own podcast. So Christian and I are not zoological experts, but we do a lot of research to make sure that we are giving you good information from reliable and trustworthy sources. Lots of work. Yes. This week, I believe I go first. Yes, correct. I'm really excited because this week I am sharing with you an animal that is a hometown favorite. This is a local icon, an American emblem of sorts, I think. Our unofficial national mascot. Oh. The Virginia opossum. A little trash cat. I know. So this is, the scientific name is Didelphus virginiana. Uh, I'm getting my information on this animal from both Animal Diversity Web and Smithsonian's National Zoo. And if you're not from the United States, or I suppose Canada or Mexico, you may not have seen this little dude other than in pictures. You've probably seen pictures. They're a popular internet topic, I think. Yes. Um, heavy, heavy social media presence. They're <laughs> definite influencers. They're fluffy. They're a little over a foot long from the nose to the butt. Mm. So they're roughly the length of a cat, um, but they have shorter legs than a cat, so they're kind of shorter. They're also round and chunky. So they look like a big, fat, fluffy cat. But they have like a longer nose than a cat. It's almost like a canine-looking face. Almost. Not quite, but has that long, slender nose with lots of sharp, pointy teeth. Yes. They also have this really, really long, bald tail, like a rat. Right. So this sort of like hodgepodge of features combined with the fact that they are nocturnal, um, I think leads a lot of people to assume that they might be rodents. Mm. They're not. They're marsupials. Or cats, for that matter. Not cats. As, as I, oh, opossums are not cats. Yes, yeah, we should yes, get out I in front being, of that. I was being cutesy. <laughs> it was very <laughs> cute. Thanks. <laughs> Their taxonomic family is called Didelphidae, which is the opossum family. This mm-hmm. family is endemic to the Americas. Endemic meaning that not only are they native to the Americas, but they're only found in the Americas. Right. So there's about 100 species of opossums in this family. Um, I couldn't really find an exact number, but somewhere around 100. That's a lot. So all opossums in this family are all marsupials. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what a marsupial is, it is a mammal, just like you and me. So um, we're warm-blooded. Our bodies are covered in hair. We have live babies, things like that. Now, the difference between marsupials and Non-marsupials, which are placental mammals, unless you're like a monotreme, like a platypus or an echidna, and you lay eggs, and you're real weird up. <laughs> but if you're not a monotreme, you're not a marsupial, you're a placental mammal, like us. Keep your baby inside of your tummy for pretty much the entire like fetal development period, mm-hmm. and then when they're done, they just pop on out of your body, and they're done. Marsupials, it starts off the same. So they have their little fetus, it's attached to a little placenta, but then when the fetus is still like the size of a jelly bean, the fetus comes out into a pouch mm-hmm. that is kept outside of the mother's body. So she's not like feeding it inside her body anymore. She's like nursing it in this little pouch. Right. Because that's that's where the nipples are, right? Like inside the pouch. Sure. Yeah. 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 So 
the baby just stays in this little pouch, mm-hmm. not connected to the mother's body at all. Right. And as marsupials, their babies are called joeys. Yay. Which I think is really cute. <laughs> now, the interesting thing is that there are other marsupials in Australia called possums. Mm-hmm. They were named after the opossums here, but they're not related. Outside of being marsupials. marsupials. Okay. Right. They're only like distantly related. Sure. So what had happened was the Europeans that had come to America and mm-hmm. found opossums had taken the name opossum from the Algonquin language, the word meaning white animal, like okay. a, a white animal. So they had this word for this little opossum, which was at the time the only marsupial the Europeans had ever seen. Oh. They hadn't made it to Australia yet. Where it's just so many. Where there's all of the marsupials. <laughs> so this was the first marsupial they'd ever seen in their lives. Uh-huh. They thought they were just all opossums. And so when they later on, like, I don't know what, a couple hundred years later, when they made it to Australia, they found other marsupials and they were like, it's just like the possum. (laughs) So they named those possums too, even though the possums in Australia are more closely related to sugar gliders. Uh, Yeah. Hot take. This is just my personal opinion. (laughs) Australian possums are way cuter. They are. I think they're way cuter. That's just my personal opinion though. Please don't at me. Um, (laughs) That's why they're both called that, although they're not necessarily related to each other. Here's some really interesting evolutionary history about marsupials in general. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, there was Pangaea. You know of this? You've heard of Pangaea? Yeah. All of the continents used to be smooshed together into one giant continent called Pangaea. Yep. And then over time, that split up into these two large supercontinents. One of them was called Laurasia in the north, and one of them was called Gondwana in the south. Mm-hmm. In Laurasia in the north was Europe, Asia, and North America. Gondwana in the south was basically everything else. So that was Africa, Antarctica, Australia, and South America. Mm. So those were all crammed together in the same supercontinent. Marsupials started to evolve in that southern supercontinent. So that's why you have marsupials in Australia and South America, because they were together at that time when marsupials started. So over time, the continents drifted apart and ended up on kind of opposite sides of the globe. But you had marsupials in each one. Gotcha. Because they had started there in the same place before they drifted apart. Mm -hmm. So after that, when eventually North and South America kind of settled into their current spots, originally there was no Central America. So all of that, like the whole like isthmus of Panama, all of that, there was no land there. It was just water. So eventually over time, there was like over like millions of years of heavy volcanic activity in that area, islands started to pop up. And eventually just more and more islands started to show up until it filled in that gap Mm. in between North and South America creating Central America. And then you have this land bridge where animals can start to get in between North and South America. So you start to see marsupials move up into North America from South America. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing is called um, the Great American Interchange, Hmm. is when terrestrial animals start to shift back and forth between North and South America. So that's how the opossum 
got into North America was up from the South. So they originally evolved in South America and moved up. Interesting. I thought that was so cool, right? Yeah. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about natural history in North America, we're usually focusing on things that came in from the North, like up through Beringia. I don't think we talk a whole lot about the Great American Interchange. Yeah, because I, I can't think of other animals that might have happened with. Quick question on terminology. Yeah. Is possum and opossum both correct for both animals? Opossum only refers to the one that we have here in America. Okay. Possum with no O could kind of go either way because like colloquially, especially Southerners like to drop the O off of possum, especially when you're saying like playing possum, which is something uh. I'll get into later. But informally yeah possum could kind of mean either one technically sure. you know you're supposed to only say opossum for the one that's here in america and possum for the one that's in australia but i'm not gonna be a stickler about it okay i'm just gonna try my best to say opossum because i think my family particularly calls them possums instead of opossum sure but i'm going to try to avoid confusion and be as concise as i can so let's review the opossum. Let's yeah. rate it. Yes. So our first category for animals that we review them on is effectiveness. So physical adaptations that make them good at what they're doing. I give the opossum an eight out of 10. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Opossums are nocturnal omnivores. So they will eat pretty much anything that they can get their tiny little bandit hands on. <laughs> um, so this is why they're so commonly associated with like dumpster diving. Right. These are like, you're going to find them in your trash can. Sure. They eat anything. One thing about that is that they do eat a lot of other animals that humans often consider pests. So ticks, they're particularly good at eating ticks, super good at eating ticks. Mm. Cockroaches, mice and snakes, they eat all those things, um, just gobble them right up. So if you can concede maybe like a little bit of rummaging through your trash, opossums are pretty good neighbors to have around because they're just little like hoovers. They just like <laughs> scurry around eating all the junk you don't want. Yeah. So like if you can just like be okay with the fact that you might find one in your trash can every once in a while, <laughs> <laughs> let them have some of your unwanted bits and, and in exchange, they'll do some pest control for you. Those are my pizza crusts. <laughs> <laughs> my banana peels. I feel like this is like the third or fourth time we've referenced pizza crusts on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> the first thing that I wanted to really talk about, like the things that they're adapted to do is climbing. They're great climbers. They're mm -hmm. super good at climbing. One of the first things that they have that is built into their body that makes them good at climbing is their tail. So that long, bald tail, it's hairless for traction but it's also prehensile so they can actually wrap it around like branches oh, okay, and stuff yeah. and use it to hold on when they're climbing so it helps them stay kind of attached to what they're holding on to that makes sense because I, th I feel like they're depicted a lot with their tail kind of curled up mm -hmm. right yeah or they'll like curl it around a branch and kind of like hang from it yeah that's more something that like the babies do because once they get bigger they're too heavy to do it anymore that makes sense. but yeah they they do they can grip things with their tail and they can even like carry stuff around with their tail like use it as a hand oh. basically because they're they walk on all fours yeah. right and so I, I saw a picture recently. It's from someone's trail cam. It was a, a picture of an opossum walking on all fours with just a bundle of like twigs and leaves mm -hmm. holding it in its tail 
for nesting material. Aww. So it was like carrying it back to its nest so that it could make a nest. And it was just like holding them in its tail, like using <laughs> it as like a fifth hand sort of. Speaking of their hands, which by the way, they have little like black markings on their hands that like stop at the fingers. So it looks like they're wearing little fingerless gloves. Aww. Yeah, it's How great. Red. It's very red. <laughs> Um, but I did want to say that they do actually have opposable thumbs. Oh, okay. On their back feet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so on their hind feet, basically, like, imagine if your big toe was a thumb. It's so almost it's, there. <laughs> <laughs> if your big toe was kind of, like, jutting out to the side and oh. really bendy, that's kind of what their feet look like. So they're really good. It's it's great for climbing, right? Because yeah. you can kind of keep your feet anchored to what you're holding on to. You know, I feel like humans like to uh, kind of flaunt their opposable thumbs when they're talking about non-human animals. They're like, uh-huh, look at us. We've got thumbs. <laughs> so do opossums. <laughs> I did take off some points because although they are good at climbing, and they're actually really good at swimming, which I didn't really expect, but apparently they're great swimmers. They spend a lot of time walking around on the ground mm -hmm. where they are very slow. Oh. They're slow. They're not very agile on the ground. They just really don't have any means of protecting themselves, yeah. you know, other than like their teeth. They got pointy teeth, but that's it, you know, like other, I feel like a lot of other North American mammals have some sort of defense, right? We've got like porcupines with their quills. We've got skunks yeah. with their stinky spray. Opossums really just don't have a lot to like fight back with. I guess... Their speed kind of explains how often they are roadkill. Yes. Okay. Definitely. Which is also, you know, they're easy pickings for like any predator, basically, mm -hmm. that's big enough to eat them. And also since they're nocturnal and they're extremely nearsighted, oh. like they have really bad eyesight. Um, so this kind of makes them prime targets for not only predators but like you mentioned car strikes because because i gotta say i've i've seen way 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 more dead opossums on the side of the road than i have seen them living anywhere else right i think i probably at least once a week see a dead opossum on the road yeah so yeah i mean it's just a combination of the fact that they're slow and they are most active at night when we have low visibility anyway and also they can't see very well so they can't see a car coming um, so I kind of took that off because that's not sure. so good for them. But I will say one good point for their defense systems, which um, I'll describe as a very, very high constitution modifier. <laughs> they are highly resistant to the venom of native snakes. Oh. So like rattlesnakes, stuff like that. Nothing. No. Unfazed. They will eat snakes for a snack snake venom just does not bother opossums that's like across the board for all north american venomous snakes no i think for rattlesnakes like most rattlesnakes it is but okay. like not all snakes but i guess what, what i was thinking of was the coral snake in particular since oh. it's so different from the rattlesnake yeah i mean i don't i don't know i didn't see the coral snake i i saw the rattlesnake specifically yeah, mentioned as yeah, like yeah. one that the opossum is most notably resistant to makes sense um, but another one is that they have a lower body temperature than most other mammals. Hmm. It's closer to like 94 degrees, which apparently is just low enough that the rabies virus has a very hard time surviving in that temperature. Okay. Yeah. So it is exceedingly rare for an mm -hmm. opossum to have rabies, which is kind of contrary to their reputation. Right. A lot of people just kind of assume that all opossums have rabies. Yeah. 
they probably don't. Um, it, it's not impossible. Any mammal can get rabies. But for opossums, it is extremely rare. It's like mm. they're the least likely mammal to get rabies, which is great because rabies sucks real yeah. bad. Like you get rabies, you will pretty much guaranteed to be dead soon. I think there's like one person or something that has ever survived it. Yeah, rabies is nothing to joke with. So um, I, I did have to give them points for that, that they're they are highly resistant to it. And I think that's very good of them. Uh, so the next category that we rate animals on is ingenuity. And this is behavioral adaptations mm-hmm. that animals have that make them good at doing things. I give the opossum a six out of ten for ingenuity. Okay. When threatened, <laughs> their first and basically only line of defense is just acting a complete fool. They just make total goofuses out of themselves. <laughs> so they just growl and hiss and scream and just basically try to like startle whatever is following them. Yeah. And then kind of an extension of that is what they're known for, playing possum. Right. So this is a behavior that they have that when they're threatened, this is mostly in younger opossums, they will fake their death by falling to the ground. They go completely limp, their tongue's hanging out, all that stuff. And they even uh, secrete a foul-smelling liquid from their butt (laughs) to make them smell like they're rotting. (laughs) Yes, it's super gross. So the idea behind it is that a predator who is following, who is trying to hunt them, might then think twice about eating a prey that's already dead. Because the idea is that if it has died without being killed, it probably died from a disease. And they don't want to get the disease that the prey died of. So is the secret to this technique not to be seen going from a normal state to a playing dead state? Because then the animal's like, wait a minute, it was just alive. I mean, I don't think that matters so much. They just want the pre- They want the predator okay. to be dissuaded by the fact that they think it's already dead. Okay. Th- this actually isn't just an act. This is an involuntary reflex that the Mm -hmm. opossum has. It's not something that they just decide to do, but they pass out. Oh, really? They're completely unconscious when they do this. Like, you cannot get them to wake back up. That's a commitment to the bit there. (laughs) It is. And it's involuntary. Like, this isn't like a thing that they choose to do. (laughs) They just... So it's like an all-in. Like, if it doesn't work, that's... Right. Yes, that's exactly the thing, (laughs) is that if it doesn't work and the predator just decides to go for it anyway, the opossum does not then have the opportunity to be like, oh, this is not working, better just try to escape. Oh, no. They're unconscious. They can't. They have no further choices left to make. So that is, like, not the best. I I couldn't give them a ton of points for that, because while it is a very clever defense... It puts you in a really vulnerable position. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you have like a very clever predator. Like I feel like a coyote would probably be able to figure that out. I can't boost their score too much for this behavior, even though it is pretty interesting. Now, one thing I wanted to say is that opossums have the smallest brain to body ratio of any mammal. What? Really? (laughs) They have little teeny brains. Oh, no. Now, their olfactory bulb which is the part of the brain that processes smell, is bigger than any mammal. Okay. They're tiny brain, Uh but super good at sniffing. They have like just allocated all of their brain real estate (laughs) into sniffing real good. So great at sniffing, maybe not amazing thinkers. Now, here's the thing. While I was looking this up, I found so many articles and listicles, you know, like BuzzFeed, you know, mental floss and board panda and stuff like that 
on the internet that said something along the lines of, oh, did you know, fun fact, opossums are actually secretly super intelligent. They're like the smartest mammal. And you're like, okay. So you go and dig into it a little bit. And then what they say, the the only reasoning I could find to back that statement up anywhere mm-hmm. was that there was this mysterious study haven't been able to find it, but they all say that there's been a study somewhere where opossums were found to be better at remembering where food was hidden than cats or dogs. Interesting. Yes. Now, here's the thing. Since I can't find the study, I don't know if they controlled for the fact that opossums are better at processing smell. Right. Right? Like, <laughs> I, can't, I have no idea. Like, how were they testing this? How do they know that the opossum was remembering it? Like, how do they know that it wasn't just smelling the food? You know, yeah. like, I couldn't find this information anywhere. I did find other studies that tested things like learning in response to stimuli. So, like, learning, oh, I do this thing. I get a good reward for it. And it put opossums about on par with raccoons and, like, other animals. So, like, not necessarily much better off in the intelligence department than other mammals. Um, So, I really just can't give them a whole lot of... And anecdotally, I've never heard a story of an opossum doing something particularly clever. Right. So, I really can't give them a whole lot for ingenuity. I just... I get it. I get that we're, like, pro-opossum. And we want to, like, ally ourselves with them and boost them up in whatever way they can. <laughs> they don't have to be smart for us to love them. Yeah. But so, yeah, feel free to at me about this. I, I can't in good faith give them a very high score because I just couldn't find anything to back that up. If you have, like, a cool story of an opossum just doing some really awesome, clever thing, please let me know about it. I can't find any. Our last category for animals that we rate them on is aesthetics. This is self-explanatory. This is just how much we enjoy looking at this animal. I'm real curious about what you're going to give this one. Give them an eight. Wow. I think they're really cute. Now, is this purely based on their adult aesthetics? Well, the babies are cuter. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, oh. Like, did you, is, is part of this factoring how cute they are as babies? Yes. Okay. <laughs> they, okay. I will give you they do get less cute as they get older. The babies are super cute. But I think they would have a much different public perception of them if they had fluffy tails i think the bald tail is really what's doing them in like pr wise yeah because the the bald tail conjures like association with rats which by the way i love yeah yeah they have their own you know undeserved connotations right they've got their baggage too so i think it's the i really think it's the tail that's throwing a lot of people off yeah but i think opossums are really cute i think my biggest um like pro opossum aesthetic points are number one, that they're fluffy mm-hmm. and it's really cute. And number two, that they have little fingerless gloves, like a bandit, which I mentioned earlier. And then that is really great. Yeah. I remember there was this cartoon movie like a hundred thousand years ago called over the hedge. Do you remember this movie? I don't think so. It had a bunch of like little woodland creatures. Is this <laughs> like animated a- or? Yes. Okay. I want to say it was DreamWorks. I don't remember exactly, but it was a whole bunch of little woodland critters. And one of them was like a dad, a possum and his like teenage daughter. And she was like going through her rebellious punk phase. Okay. okay. And I always thought that just fits so well with like her fingerless gloves. <laughs> Cause it looked like she was like a little punk. That's I think fine. in the movie she had like thick eyeliner or something like that. It was just, it was really cute. That's, that's what I think of when I think of like their little bandit gloves. How fun. Yes. They're very good. 
Yeah, just to wrap up, I mean, I, usually this is where we put conservation status, but these things are everywhere. Like, yeah. these things are fine. Opossums are doing great. Um, they do really, really well in, in areas with high human populations, so they're honestly doing totally fine. I guess it's a trade-off, isn't it? Like, the human population gives them resources, but it's also probably one of their main threats. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, seems like most things are threats to opossums. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's going to take much to yeah. take one of these dudes down. Sure. But yeah, they're, they're doing fine. Uh, I just really like them. And I think that historically, at least, they've had bad reputations because people assume that they're dirty or that they carry disease or that they will like carry bugs and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. it's, it's the opposite. They eat the bugs. They don't carry rabies. Well, almost certainly don't carry rabies. Um, yeah. I think that within the last decade or so, like within at least like the the younger generations that are growing up now, opossums have much warmer and fonder like connotations. Just people like opossums now. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. It seems like they have a much better place in society now. Everybody loves opossums these days, which mm -hmm. I think is great. So I wanted to voice my opinion on that. I wanted to firmly state my pro opossum stance. <laughs> I love opossums and uh yeah. Well, very good. I enjoy them, too. I'm glad. Before we move on to our next animal, I want to take a quick second to thank our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. This month, I would like to say thank you to Jacob Jones, Jacob Schick, April Kamick, Sarah Peterson, Vikram Baliga, Brendan Everfolly, Brianna Feinberg, Britt Vickstrom, Dalton Weeks, Diane Clare, Julie Gilson, Christina Standers, Patricia Morgan, Paul Chomo, Randall Beeman, and the Mad Scientist Podcast. Y'all are the entire reason we are able to do this every week. Thank you. What's your animal this week? The animal I picked for this week is the burrowing owl. I'm really excited. I like these little dudes. They're very cute. Scientific name, Athene cunicularia. What a name. <laughs> right? That's beautiful. Cunicularia. Yes. Love it. Athene is a synonym for Athena the Greek goddess of wisdom, who I believe is often associated with owls in general. I think that owls are usually, in Western culture at least, associated mm -hmm. with wisdom. But I'm, I'm thinking that the Greek goddess figure in particular, like I'm not very familiar with Greek mythology, but I believe there's a lot of connection there okay. in some way. Sure. Um, cunicularia is Latin for a miner or burrower. Oh, a miner like someone who mines. Yes, okay. M I N E R. Okay. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Sometimes called howdy birds. Howdy birds? Because it kind of looks like they nod in, as a greeting when they're outside their burrows. I guess this comes from cowboys or something. Oh, <laughs> howdy birds. Yes. That's what I'm going to be putting in the episode <laughs> title. Thank you. I'm getting my information from Animal Diversity Web as well as audubon.org. Very good. And the nationalgeographic.org. Excellent. Yes. So let's talk how big they are. You know, being birds, flighted birds, you can assume they're pretty small. Little. Um, I don't know. I think of owls as yeah, being pretty big. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So owls have a pretty wide range of sizes, and some of the bigger ones are pretty big. Mm -hmm. But these are pretty small. Little. So they weigh, as an adult, between 127 to 255 grams which is four and a half to nine ounces. Oh. So less than a pound. <laughs> so 
tiny. Now that doesn't always tell you a lot right. with flighted birds. Yes. <laughs> Height-wise, they stand at 19 to 25 centimeters or seven and a half to 10 inches. Okay. This gives me more information yes. to work off of. <laughs> and their wingspan is 53 to 61 centimeters or 21 to 24 inches. So like many birds, their wingspan is longer than their standing height. Now, where we can find these guys. So they can be found in lots of the western United States and southwest Canada during their breeding season. Also found in the southwest U.S. and northern Mexico and central and southern Florida during all seasons. Lastly, can be found in central Mexico and some parts of Texas during the winter. Okay. Yeah. So maybe not necessarily where we live, but we're, not too we're far. A little, we're a little too far north for them, for the Florida population. Okay. Yeah. But like, if we wanted to, we could go see them. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the places you'll hear about finding these guys are in golf courses. <laughs> <laughs> well, that they would be right at home yeah. up here in North Florida, where we live. Yeah. But I think it, I'm, I'm thinking it's the more southern golf courses that they might have a problem with sure <laughs> um so that being said they can be found in open spaces with little ground vegetation and few trees so think farmlands deserts grasslands golf courses <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. it's all coming together now <laughs> so many owls of course you know you'll find them in trees and such not these guys they're usually close to the ground sometimes inside it inside the ground <laughs> yes it's burrowing <laughs> owls i don't think we've ever talked about an owl before I know, right? Yeah. We're so deep in the game and we haven't <laughs> talked about an owl yet. That's wild. So just kind of give you some background context. An owl is a kind of bird of prey, right? So they eat meat and a lot of times other birds. They usually have sharp talons. They can fly. Something that separates them from other birds, though, is an aesthetic thing, in my opinion, is their <laughs> faces are flat and squat and like squat. Well, like the eyes are facing forward. Yeah, rather completely than... like forward. Yeah. Which has a lot to do with its vision that I'll talk about here soon. Ooh, very good. Yeah. That's something you think about with owls a lot is like their eyes. I think they're heavily associated with like... Yeah, because they're, they're, they're on a flat face and they're pointed in the same direction and they're big. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a little beak. Like when you think of like a bird of prey, yeah, you might think of like a hawk or an eagle. Which it has the beak there. It's just if anatomically speaking, it's, it's a lot of it is pushed back into the skull and hidden behind the feathers and mm, such. Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's there. It's there. Taxonomically, they belong to the family Strigidae, which are also known as the typical owls. Typical owls. Yes. There's over 190 species in that family. There's two families of owls. The other family is the Titonidae, or the barn owls. Mm. Yeah, um, And they're both perfect. <laughs> a notable evolutionary relative of this family is the snowy owl. Oh, really? Yes. That's so, funny. For fans of the Harry Potter movies and books, uh, this was the species that Hedwig was, I believe. But don't quote me on it. <laughs> you know, that kind of makes sense because snowy owls are also, I think, big ground dwellers. Like, they're also owls that you would find typically on the ground. I'm not sure, because I feel like anything I've ever seen about snowy owls is always some documentary with them snatching a mouse off of a freshly fallen snow field. <laughs> it's like there's only the one video that, like, every documentary has to share. <laughs> so, like, you'll see this trail of, like, a, a mouse hopping along snow, and mm -hmm. then suddenly no more trail and some marks of feathers on the ground. <laughs> And then nothing else. <laughs> well, I've seen um, recently there was a snowy owl in Central Park. And 
there was a big like it was in the middle of like a gated off area. Oh yeah, and like hundreds of people gathered to like take pictures of the snowy owl. And They're stuff. big and beautiful too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gorgeous. Um, so in general, owl taxonomy is confusing. Great, <laughs> because owls and falcons were once considered super families of a single order, but that has changed as time has gone by. Mm. So it wouldn't be taxonomy without some sort of bizarre twists and turns yeah it got really deep and i decided not to go that far sometimes you gotta just pull the trigger (laughs) sometimes you gotta be like you know what it's not worth it yep so getting right into it starting with our first category of effectiveness i'm giving them an eight out of ten so first i want to talk about their eyesight so a lot of this is true for all owls Uh, like we've said they have forward facing eyes and they have binocular vision so meaning you know their eyes are pointed in such a way where they can have depth perception within the range of binocular vision. We have this and lots of other animals do. Here's what I found really interesting is their eyes are not true eyeballs. What? The more cone shaped, like the, the eye itself is more cone shaped. Eye cones? And they do not move. Really? They are constantly pointing forward and that's the only way they can point. One option. Yes. <laughs> so like our, our eyeballs can move in their sockets, sure. you know, in many angles but theirs cannot so they have to move their whole head yes that's where okay <laughs> that's where that's coming in then yes correct, All right. correct so like like you said they make up for that with how far they can turn their head they have 110 degrees of vision horizontally um, but only 70 degrees of that is binocular mm. yeah which is normal in that kind of placement of eyes whereas not your entire field of vision is in binocular vision so it's basically where the field of view for both eyes overlap is sure, where sure, you'll sure. have binocular vision. So by comparison, humans have 200 degrees of vision and 120 degrees of that is in binocular vision. Um, and that is according to a lecture slide I found from Gordon Wettstein at Stanford University titled The Human Visual System. Nice. Yeah, which kind of took me down a rabbit hole of how our vision works, but it's yeah. not related to the L. <laughs> you were deep in it yesterday. I saw you. <laughs> Some other birds have close to 360 degrees of vision. So I think birds that have their eyes pretty much on the sides of their head. Mm -hmm. But only a very small sliver of that is binocular vision, right? Because only a small sliver of those fields of view overlap. Sure. So talking about like 10 degrees of that vision. It's kind of a trade-off. Yep. A lot of times people talk about prey versus predator animal vision, right? So it's a trade-off of field of view for um, depth perception. Sure, sure, sure. Because when you're a predator, it might be more important to you to judge the distance between yourself and your prey item. Right. Whereas if you're a prey, all you need to know is... Something in that direction. Yes. Or in other direction. <laughs> yeah, because what do you care whether it's, you know, five yeah. feet or 20 feet? It's, you just got to go. Right. So that's their eyesight. Talk a little bit more about the head turning thing. So this is a big uh, aesthetic thing that's depicted with owls and media all the time is how they can turn their head almost all the way around. So they can turn their head 270 degrees. So 360 would be all the way around. Sure. <laughs> so 270 is pretty close. And they have a special blood pooling system for their brains and, and eyes um, that helps them whenever that turning motion cuts off circulation. Oh, so that they're not like getting... suffocating themselves. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> or I guess to be more accurate, cutting off the blood supply to their brain and eyes. <laughs> That's not a desirable yeah. outcome. Don't want that. Right. Next thing I want to talk about are their feet. So with birds, there's a couple different arrangements of toes, right, that they could possibly have. And it usually has to do with what they're doing. 
in nature. So for all owls, they have zygodactyl feet, two forward-facing toes and two backward-facing toes. Uh, however, uh, one of their back toes can be pivoted to help walking. Mm, an optional. Yes. <laughs> and it, it's not, I don't think it's a pivot all the way to the front. It's like off to the side. Okay. Yeah. As needed. Yeah. Which is useful for ground-dwelling owls, right? There you go. Next thing I want to talk about is their digestion. This is another common owl thing. And actually many birds of prey that regurgitate pellets. Mm. So what these are are parts of their prey that they can't digest. And these are things like bone, fur, and insect exoskeletons. Chitin. Ah. <laughs> Especially in owls that are big enough to eat things whole. So like the bigger owls that will eat a mouse, just the whole thing. Have you ever dissected an owl pellet? I have not. You haven't? No. I dissected an owl pellet when I was, I would have been in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And it was really cool. Yeah. Um, we dissected an owl pellet in our science class and found little bits of like mouse bones mm -hmm. and all sorts of cool little stuff in there. It's very fun. Well, it's a really good opportunity for researchers because it lets them know a lot about their diet without having to dissect a bird. To do right. It. You don't have to disturb the animal at all. Right. Actually, um, way back when we talked about the, the mole, that one, I think the golden mole. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a related species of mole that scientists only knew exist because of owl pellets. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they were finding its remains in pellets. Owls are better at finding them than we are. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were owls. They might have been another bird. but That's like oh, what yeah. you think of. You think of owl pellets, I think. Yeah. Because yeah. they're common. Uh, I feel like that's a common little like science experiment for kids' science classes. Sure, sure. It's a little yucky, but like... It's a good uh, intro to this is what it's like to do field research. Right. And you don't have to come to terms with, you know, mortality, cutting, <laughs> cutting into a dead animal. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're still dealing with yeah. dead animal yeah. remains, but, but much, much farther dead. I it, think. <laughs> it fits into the circle of life a lot more right. in a way that is palatable for yes. us. Yes. It's closer to poop than anything. <laughs> and their lifespan, they have six to eight years in the wild. And up to 10 in captivity. Okay. And lastly, of course, flight. They are capable of flight. Huge advantage. <laughs> <laughs> now, you said that they're burrowing. Yes. So they live underground? Do they so, live underground or do they live in trees? So that is more in my ingenuity section. Oh, okay. Yeah. I won't uh, spoil it then. So speaking of which, oh. in ingenuity. Yes. <laughs> also an 8 out of 10. The first thing I want to talk about is, unlike many owls, they are diurnal. Okay, so they do not live if, or they're, sorry. They cease to exist at night. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> they are not awake at night, Correct. is what I meant. Right. So they're awake during the day. However, their hunting is concentrated around the times of sunrise and sunset. And then the big one is their burrowing. So they will use the abandoned burrows of other animals. So they're not digging their own burrows. Some do. Oh. But a lot of the times they'll use the abandoned burrows of other animals, things like prairie dogs, badgers, desert and gopher tortoises. Mm, we have those here. We do. The latter, at least. And foxes. Smart. So, again, it depends on what local population you're looking at, right? Because, you know, here we have gopher tortoises, but out west, you know, that's where you'll find desert tortoises and that kind of thing. And prairie dogs and such. Sure, sure, sure. But that's a good idea to use a burrow that's already there. Yes. Yep. Um, however, the Florida populations often dig their own. You want something done right. <laughs> you got to do it yourself. I think it might be because we have fewer burrowing animals, maybe. I don't know. 
I don't know. We have a lot of little dudes that dig in the ground. We got tortoises, mm-hmm. right? We got armadillos. That's true. We've got other things, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Their burrows are often 3 to 3.7 meters in length or 10 to 12 feet. Wow. That's quite a lot of space for a little dude. Mm-hmm. And they're angled downward and curved so that sunlight can't reach the bottom. They want to live in the dark. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> or somewhere to get away from the, the sun, at least. Okay. Well, in Florida, that's very valuable. Yeah. So the eggs are laid in the bottom of these burrows. Good idea. Uh, the males usually hunt to feed himself and the female, while the female is usually taking care of the eggs and young. The female won't go too far until the young can self-thermoregulate. Oh, so until it can kind of keep itself yeah, warm. Yeah. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Gotta stay home for a little bit. <laughs> Not ready to leave the nest. So the male will bring, uh, you know, prey, and then the mom will kind of shred little bits off of it to feed to the young. Cause, it's a good mommy. Because they're not big enough to do the whole, like, ah, ah, swallow the whole thing. <laughs> can I get that sound one more time? Can nope. I get a clean take for the... Nope. Oh, man. <laughs> You're no fun. (laughs) I have more sounds coming up. Next, I want to talk about their hunting method. So they can walk, hop, and run to catch insects and small mammals and lizards and such. Hop. Yep. I would love to see one hopping around. That sounds very cute. Yeah. They can also catch insects in flight. Whoa. Yes. You got to be pretty quick to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. So something they'll sometimes do is they'll they'll fly up and hover real quick to get a good peek at something on the ground first, and then they'll go for it. Uh, their prey varies a lot based on what's seasonally available. So, you know, whatever Trader Joe's has available for the... <laughs> <laughs> whatever cookies they've got in stock this time of year. The uh, red delicious apples when they're in season. <laughs> so while they are themselves predators, they are also preyed upon. Um, by other birds of prey, of course, foxes and coyotes, things like that. I'm not surprised by that. No, they're they're small. Yeah. They have hygiene. They have hygiene? Yes, they Aww. will bathe in a puddle or even the rain. <gasps> That's so delightfully charming. <laughs> yes. Their young are often referred to as owlets. Just like in PJ Masks. <laughs> <laughs> so when they're bathing, you could call them a moist owlet. Oh, Okay. <laughs> You're really funny. They can also take dust baths to get rid of mites. Now, okay. this is a very cute thing that I've seen chinchillas uh, do. Yeah. I've never yeah. seen an owl do it, but yeah. I've seen chinchillas do it. Yep. Very good. Final thing I wanted to talk about is communication. They communicate via vocalizations and also bill snapping and wing flapping for distress. Oh, no. Yeah. Help. Now, here's where they differ from, I guess, the mainstream view of owls. They don't really do a hoot They do or the hoo. Oh, man, that's they, a really good sound. They do more of a coo-coo kind of call. And <gasps> that's I even better. I have a recording that you, for you to listen to, and if you want, you can cut in it later. Okay. That was not the owl. That was Finley. Here it is. <laughs> he sounds like he's laughing, <laughs> doesn't he? Yeah. Sounds like a, like a hyena. <laughs> So that's their call. Now, um, Christian, just in case the microphone didn't pick that up, can I get uh no. can you please There's a link in my notes document that you have access to. <laughs> you coward. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really it sounds like a three part thing to me. It's like a cuckoo and then I was like Arr. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So that's what it sounds like to me. According to the Smithsonian National Zoo's website, 
While still in the nest, a burrowing owlet's distressed cry mimics the sound of a rattlesnake, scaring away predators. Really? Yeah. That's really cool. That's the only place I saw that referenced. I also mm. haven't looked up to see what it sounds like, but I'm just going to trust you, Smithsonian National Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> We're putting a lot in your hands. There's a lot writing on this. So if we got it wrong, blame them. Yeah, get them. <laughs> Please direct all angry tweets at the Smithsonian Zoo. <laughs> Final category, aesthetics. 10 out of 10. Very cute. I have seen many photos of burrowing owls, and mm-hmm. I feel like I often see, the, see them with their heads like tilted yes. to one side. Yep. It's that, really cute. I think that goes back to that whole howdy bird thing. <laughs> <laughs> Little howdy. That's what they're saying. Howdy. But they also have like like many birds of prey. They have that sort of like permanently angry face. So they're like making a cute little head tilt, but they also look real mad about it. Very good. That's all I had really. Very cute. 10 out of 10. Excellent. Um, I just not realizing I didn't really explain their coloration or anything, but they're mostly brown and white Mm -hmm. with a squat beak. They look sandy. Yeah. Yeah. They look right at home in a desert environment. Mm Mm-hmm. Their conservation status is of least concern. Their main threats are loss of habitat, but some human encroachment, like deforestation and creating pasture land, actually expands their habitat. How so? Because they don't live in forests, right? Oh, trees. Okay. So when they knock down a forest and now there's pasture land, they're like, oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Or a golf course, right? <laughs> perfect. They look at this. They're like, this is so nice of you. You did this for me. So I, you don't often see this, right? Because that's often the the nail in a coffin for many animal species. So I thought that was interesting. And my final little tidbit, per the Audubon website, a group of owls is called a parliament. This originates from C.S. Lewis's description of a meeting of owls in the Chronicles of Narnia. So I knew this because when I was in high school, mm-hmm. in my senior year of high school, I took AP Studio Art. And as part of my studio art class, I had to make a portfolio. And that portfolio involved making 12 pieces that were centered on a theme. The theme I chose for my portfolio was terms of venery for different (laughs) animals interpreted literally into watercolor paintings. Lovely. And I did a watercolor painting of a parliament of owls. (laughs) I will say none of them were burrowing owls. I think I had like a barn owl, a snowy owl, a horned owl. I can't think of any other ones, but they had like those frilly like vests and like the jackets with the like the embellishments and they had like powdered wigs and stuff. Yeah. Um, It was... Not very good, because I was not very good. I still am not very good at watercolor painting, but it existed. (laughs) I I did the painting. And and for those maybe unfamiliar, Parliament is a particular organization of government body um, that we do not have in the United States, but many other countries, particularly in Europe and I believe Australia, all have a Parliament. Yes. Not of Theirs is of humans. (laughs) Correct. Awesome. That's the burrowing owl. I love this owl. It's very cute. I'm surprised that this is the first owl that we talked about, but hey. It's true, because I think there are much more famous species of owl. No longer. (laughs) Now this is the primary owl. Well, thank you, darling. That was lovely. And thank you to all of our listeners who have tuned in and hung out with us today. 
We really appreciate y'all. Have fun. Um, if you want to come be our friend on social media, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Come find us and hang out with us on there. Uh, if you have an animal that you want us to talk about on the show, send me an email. My email address is ellen at justthezooofus.com. Our intro and outro music is made by Louis Zong, a wonderful musician who so kindly allowed us to use his sick jams. It's very good. Yes. And uh, I think that's all I had for this yeah. week. Any final remarks, Finley? Finley, what you got? Let's see here. Okay. All right. No. No, he has nothing to say. Okay. Thanks, baby. Thank you, honey. Honey what? What were you going to say? Bunches of oats. <laughs> oh, you stopped yourself so that <laughs> Kellogg's doesn't sue us into oblivion. It's post, actually. Thank you. <laughs> How do you know that? <laughs> Did you look that up before, you, before we recorded No, this? that's because the grocery store buy one, get ones are based on brand. Usually. That doesn't answer my question for how you knew it was If post cereal goes on, buy one, get one. I know that includes honey, honey bunches, bunches of oats. oats. <laughs> I am going to fact check myself on this, though. Okay. <laughs> so we're not zoological experts, but we are apparently breakfast cereal branding experts. I'm, I think someone already has that. <laughs> oh, shoot. You're right. <laughs> you're going to get sued into oblivion. Bye. Bye.